I wish again to take just a moment to express my appreciation to especially you preacher brethren for giving your support to this meeting. And I would like to take just a moment to preface our study this evening with these words. Now, this will be one of the most difficult services that will be conducted during this series. And it will not at all be surprising, though we pray that God might overrule on our behalf, if there are not some disturbances that would distract your attention, either outwardly or inwardly. Many of you will find it a lot more difficult to listen this evening than at any other time. There will be every temptation mentally and emotionally to turn aside from the general fault that will be under consideration. I say this out of sincerity, out of experience, and not in order to try and set a psychological atmosphere for the message. Also, I would give a word of warning which is never out of curiosity dabble in the subject that will be under consideration this evening, which is the subject of Satanism, witchcraft, and drugs. For in so doing, there is every possibility that you will fall under what is known in the realm of counseling, occult oppression. And this is extremely real in the emotional experience of people who have taken too lightly the subject and who have, out of curiosity, gone into an exploration of it. On the other hand, if at any time you are confronted absolutely by any experience of demonism, then go into it headstrong, but prayerfully, and if at all possible, with aid of someone else. I always try to advise that in the counseling of those that might be oppressed by demonic forces because of their having been involved in some form of occultism or other, that they never deal with a subject alone. The reason for this is that you yourself can be brought under attack though not possessed, and you yourself, in being brought under attack, can be troubled for a long period of time. Also, you will find in that in dealing with this realm of experience, this mysterious realm of experience, there is a draining of physical strength. I have found on some occasions such a drainage of physical and emotional and mental strength that I could not read and even think rationally for as many as three days, during which time I would not try and preach the gospel of Christ to try and regain my own equilibrium. That has come primarily when I have been forced into dealing with someone while alone and without the support 
of another Christian who has stood with him. So this is not something for entertainment. It is not something just uh, for delving into mysteries out of curiosity, but it's something that we take extremely seriously as being taught from the Word of God. Now, in order to lay the foundation for the study this evening, I want us to read, first of all, from the book of Revelation, chapter 13. And as Brother Terry has already stated, in order to conserve time, and in order to take up another phase of this most important subject in these particular days in which we now live, I am going to bypass any explanation of the Illuminati, which is taken from the word Lucifer, which means the enlightened one, and treat another aspect of the subject in view of the fact that you have access to the tape where the subject has been treated fully, and now there is quite a bit of printed material available on the subject of the Illuminati and the part it plays in world revolution as a Luciferian movement that you can study for yourself. Again, and before we read the scripture, let me warn you, under any circumstances, don't ever buy any books nor have them in your possession uh, that treat the subject of black magic and witchcraft and occultism as written by those who have been initiated into the cult. If you must read on the subject, then please read what other men have revealed in their writings who are Christian. Uh, for example, the, the writings of Dr. Kurt Cook, who is the German Lutheran that has dealt with over 3,000 cases in his history throughout the world and who is probably the foremost expert today. Uh, however, much of the knowledge I gained came from experience prior to being introduced to his works. He only confirmed some of the things that I've already discovered. But you can read him, and he has several books, Satan's Alphabet, Between Christ and Satan, Occult Oppression, Occult Counseling, and others that are available, and I believe have been printed by Bob Trago in Grand Rapids, Michigan. These are available at bookstores. But never buy any book that deals with the occult. For example, the surest way occult oppression is you don't have to read it, but just own the sixth and seventh books of Moses. Now, these are the most satanically inspired writings that are available in this generation. And I don't know of any person that has ever possessed these books that have not been in some way or another harassed by demonic oppression. They are extremely dangerous. I'll give you one example. In order to speak on the subject, which I don't do very often, but in order to speak on the subject, I at one time had in my possession Satan's Bible. And I did this in order to read excerpts from it where it was permissible to be read in mixed company, uh, describing the black mass and how to set up a Satanist church and the freedoms and liberties that were offered in this religion of the worship of the devil. And I discovered, however, that there was one series of harassments after another. For example, one night I was awakened in the middle of the night 
by my wife as I was grasping for breath and struggling for life, and there was a, a, a personage hovering over me uh, with hands full down on, on my face. And so my wife awakened me, and uh, through prayer, this image withdrew from our presence. The lights were turned on, and there were these strong imprints, and I've only shared this with two or three men. There were strong imprints on my face, perfect imprints of a man's hand, and later I found from Dr. Cook uh, that the most prevalent way in which demons will attack God's people is through attempted smothering. And so this was one of the experiences, and then after that I began having deep depressions that I could not come out of, that were disturbing to the point that I began to develop an irritability. And I had forgotten all about this, but my wife was going through the drawers in the night table next to the bed, where I usually have some 15 to 25 books stacked, and she found Satan's Bible. And we removed it from the house and destroyed it, plus another occult book that I had in the house. And all of this oppression immediately was removed, and I was no longer bothered by it. But I could tell you during that time how, and uh, I have friends who have assured me that these were attempts on my life, but how in a period of a little over a year, I uh, ran into a, a man on a freeway who was backing up instead of moving forward. Doing, I was doing 75 or 80 miles an hour in an Olds 98 and set the automobile engine back into the seat with me and walked away from it. And then after that, I fell off of the hillside and broke six bones in one leg. And then after that, <clears throat> I went over the handlebars of a dirt bike on an enduro track and burst a lung and a kidney. And by the time I got to the hospital, not knowing that I was hurt, I had lost over five pints of blood and had to undergo emergency surgery with the assurance by the doctor that I'd be an invalid for at least a year and I was back in the pulpit in less than two months full time. And then shortly after that, I was in a Datsun 240Z and a big car hit me broadside, burst the gas tank, caved in the whole side, covered me in gasoline, and demolished that car. So I am really a risk, and you don't want to ride with me, but things have let up somewhat in the present time. All right, in the book of Revelation, chapter 13, and we have some explanation of this. In verse 1, And I saw upon the sand of the sea, and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. In verse 3, we read, And all the world wandered after the beast, and they worshipped. They did not fear, they did not run from, but they worshipped the dragon, which is Satan, which gave power unto the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like unto the beast, who is able to make war with him? Then in verse 7, And it was given unto him to make war with the saints, and to overcome them on a temporary basis. To overcome them, and power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. Verse 13, 
he doeth great wonders, so that he maketh fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. Verse 14, And deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast. Verse 15, He had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. And so there is ventriloquism there in practice by the beast. Then in chapter 9, and I want you to underline in verse 21, especially two words, Neither repented they of their murders, hear the words, nor of their sorceries, nor of their fornication, nor of their thefts. And we will look at the relationship of the words sorceries and fornication, especially as to the original Greek words as translated by these two words in English. And so we have here a description of satanic power satanic power that will be manifested in full in the personage of the Antichrist in the end of this age in which we are now living. But a power that will not only then be manifested but is to one degree or another manifested now throughout the world as Satan makes his efforts to gain power over the minds and the souls of men. There is going to be an attempted world domination by a man satanically inspired in the latter times who will be worshipped in the stead and the place of God. As the world system continues to deteriorate, he will be given power to offer a solution to the conflict of world religion or in world religion, the conflict of economics in world economics, and the conflict in governments through world government. Now, I want us to concentrate on the subject of Satanism and witchcraft as it is a basic spiritual movement that stands behind and interrelated with the total breakdown of our society. Wherever you find revolutionary activity in communism or elsewhere, you will find in radicalism some relationship to witchcraft and demonism or Satanism. Now, in order that we might be deceived to not take seriously the situation, Satan would have us to believe that he is either an impersonal force within the universe a force for evil or good, but an impersonal force. Or else, if not some impersonal force, a grotesque figure that no one would be attracted to. This is not at all what Satan is. He is an angel of light, the highest of God's creation, Lucifer prior to the time of his fall, and therefore his ministers are ministers of righteousness as well. I do want to direct your attention to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 18, which, by the way, is a passage of Scripture 
in the second law that relates directly to the first commandment, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. For the practice of black magic and the practice of witchcraft is in reality the setting up of another god or gods in the place of the Lord God Jehovah. And witchcraft also is an attempt to take predestination out of the hands of a sovereign God and put it into the hands of other forces. Actually, witchcraft is nothing more than trying to control the future through magic, trying to predestinate the future through magic. Now, we renounce all of these hidden works of darkness. We renounce any predestination outside of the will and the power of God. We will not commit ourselves one iota to satanic predestination in the form of witchcraft and black magic. Therefore, in expounding the first commandment, God speaking through Moses, beginning with verse 9, says, When thou art come into the land which thy God giveth thee, thou shalt not learn to do after the abomination of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone that maketh his son or his daughter to pass through the fire, or that useth divination, or an observer of times, or an enchanter, or a witch, or a charmer, or a consulter with familiar spirits, or a wizard, or a necromancer. For all that do these things are an abomination unto the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord thy God doth drive them out from before thee. Thou shalt be perfect with the Lord thy God. And then he makes the promise of raising up the prophet after Moses, which is the Lord Jesus Christ, who will speak to us the true word of God, not these false prophets in the practice of witchcraft. Now these forces are stated to be the common practice of the nations who are without God. And so the Lord speaks of these as abominations. He first of all condemns the passing of children through the fire, which is Federation, the passing of children through the fire. Now, at one time, we would have maybe taken seriously the report of a missionary in a foreign field that this was practiced by those in deepest paganism. My dear friends, this practice is quite prevalent in this country today. And I related, I think, in the message in 1970 of the newspaper article that reported this couple in the practice of witchcraft to try and make contact with the spiritual powers of darkness who dipped their young son into hot boiling water until all the flesh fell from his hips and his legs and his feet in the name of Moloch passing that child through the fire. This happened in this country, and it happened by a couple who had been to college. 
And so it is not unusual for such a thing as this to happen. And then a diviner is one who will lay cards or cast lots in order to determine one's future, even in the so-called innocent reading of tea leaves or coffee grounds, all which are associated with Satanism and witchcraft. Then he speaks of an observer of time. Now, true biblical astronomy at the Tower of Babel with the rise of humanism was perverted into astrology. Astrology is the practice of witchcraft. The Tower of Babel was a pyramid. It was not built in order to take a man into heaven. No person is as foolish as that. But the literal rendering is whose top was as the heavens. Therefore, in Babylon and its mysticism and occultism, astrology was the major religion. And so the top of the pyramid was painted with the zodiac, the signs of the zodiac. And it was painted with the signs of the zodiac because the astrologers studied the stars, believing that through these stars one's destiny was determined and controlled, which was a rebellion against God and his predestination. Amen which was a practice of witchcraft. As a result, God confounded the languages and scattered the people because the pyramid, which is still the symbol in occultism, was the pole that was the focal point of the meeting of heaven with earth and earth with heaven. And Nimrod, the king of Babylon, was a priest king, as were the kings who followed him, who in a ceremony would go to the top of the pyramid and take hold of the hand of God, and God had his continuation or his continuity in the person of the priest king and the totalitarian state, so that every attempt for world government and totalitarianism is an attempt to incarnate God in the state and in the priest-king of the state, which will have some realization in the end time in the revived Babylonian system in the man of sin. But you find this brought out especially in the book of Daniel and Daniel's conflicts with the kings of Babylon. And so they were the incarnation of God. This is why Belshazzar gave a religious feast. This is why Belshazzar desecrated the uh, vessels of the temple of God in order to show that he broke with Daniel's God of this continuity, Daniel's God who stood outside of his creation, Daniel's God who was sovereign over creation as declared by his own grandfather, Nebuchadnezzar, and that he himself was the incarnation of God and that God could not continue in history apart from him and that man's history was actually the unfolding of God in the essence of his being. All of this is wrapped up in occult mysticism and in the Luciferian or satanic system of religion. And so astrology plays a major part. And if you take seriously the horoscope, if you read the horoscope, 
you are endangering yourself to occult oppression, depression of spirit and of mind, nervous disorders, and all kinds of disturbances, and certainly ruling out any possibility of the blessing of God. For what you're saying when you pick up the newspaper or go to a newsstand and buy a book on the horoscope is that here is the source of my predestination. Here is the determination of my future, not in the decree and the counsel and the purpose of God creator as his creature, but man caught up in God and in the creation itself from which God has been entrapped. And so man's future is determined by impersonal forces, which in reality are satanic forces where the hosts of heaven dwell. So we must be very careful. I have spent a great deal of time in the lower part of Mexico, below the isthmus, in the jungles with the Maya Indians. These are now a very degenerate people because of their having gone into the jungle to continue their livelihood. My own personal conviction about the Mayas, having studied their culture and background, is that they are descendants of the Phoenicians who came over into Mexico about the days of Solomon and who excavated silver there and furnished a great deal of the material that Solomon used in the temple. The reason I say that is that it's from that part of the world that the stones which make up the pyramids in Mexico come from. There are no rock in Mexico uh, equivalent to the stones out of which the pyramids are made. So there you will find ruined cities. That is, cities that have been abandoned, religious cities. And time won't permit to go into their religion, but it's the same as the Babylonian occultism. Uh, the pyramid is central, and with the pyramid is always an astrological observatory for the studying of stars. And the pyramid is always built in relationship to the planets, to the earth. And as you read their hieroglyphics, you can see that these people had a deep knowledge of higher mathematics in which they were able to predict eclipses and the arrival of comets as modern-day astronomy does. And they had quite a developed system in the worship of these satanic forces they identified with astrology and the planets of our solar system. They had suspended highways over the jungles that connected one city with the other that were paved uh, buildings beyond our comprehension. And what most people do not realize is that the largest pyramid in the world is not in India nor Egypt, but in Mexico itself. I was able to go inside of the pyramid at Chichen Itza, and there the altar is still stained with human blood, where these people offered human sacrifices until they were driven into the jungles and abandoned their culture. The blood is still there. And these priests, kings that ruled these cities had to be so skilled at open-heart surgery that they could take a knife and remove a man's heart and lift that heart out of his bosom and the man had to see his heart beat before he died or the sacrifice was no good. And that's how quickly the heart could be removed. And this the Maya Indians were able to do. Their laws almost parallel the Ten Commandments showing that they had some contact with Israel in old. 
But here we find that astrology plays a part, and so demonism is also prevalent. Then we read that a person is not to be an enchanter or a consulter with familiar spirits. The word translated here is ob, ob, and it's translated ghost, and literally it's a Hebrew word that means a ventriloquist. I'm absolutely overwhelmingly amazed that churches that will have ventriloquists to come in with their little dolls and entertain in the name of religion. It's bringing demonism right into the church. What do you think the beast or the false prophet is going to do to the image of the beast except enable that non-living image to speak and to speak prophecies? And so here we have a person who consults with a familiar spirit. Now we do have those that are hypocrites, those who do not have genuine gifts, who use this in order to have power to control others, but we must also realize that there are many people who actually are in league and under the control of familiar spirits. Uh, just a few days ago, in the middle afternoon, my doorbell rang, and I went to the door, and there stood a young man whose father was a member of our church and who himself had grown up in the church, who was wild-eyed and hysterical, and he said to me, I have my wife in the car, and we need to talk to you. I said, what's the matter? Are you having trouble? He said, yes. I said, well, go get her. They came in, and in so doing... Uh, I surmise they were having marital difficulties, which they were, but I surmise this was the extent of it, and so they sat down on the couch. And I sat across the room because I never uh, sit near persons that I counsel with, and I began probing, well, what's the problem? What's the problem? And he said, well, you tell him. And she said, I don't have anything to say. And so I kept probing, and eventually he said, I want you to tell him what our problem is. Well, she said, I believe that I'm becoming a split personality. I said, let me ask you a question point blank. I said, have you been or are you now involved in any form of witchcraft? She looked at me somewhat startled, and she said, yes. I said, uh, are you now or have you been at any time involved in drugs? She looked at me. She said, yes. Why? I said, well, I said, that's the problem. I said, now you talk to me. And then she opened up. And all you listen to me, mothers and daddies, because you might need to do some house cleaning after this service is open. You young people listen to me. If you have any horoscopes, if you have any books of magic, if you have any thing that even pertains to witchcraft, you get it out of your house Amen. and burn it before this night is over. 1970, I made the statement that the 70s would be the year of revived witchcraft. The 70% of all TV productions, movie productions, and printed material would deal with the occult and with witchcraft and demonism. Now, men don't believe in God, but they do believe in the devil. This is what a college professor who is an unbeliever in, in, uh, in the state of California said some time ago. Men have now come to full faith in the devil. All right. 
She said to me, she said, a few years ago, my father died. And at that time, she was in the unity movement, which is a heretical movement of mind over matter. When her father died, she became disturbed about his existence, and her whole ambition was to disprove any concept of hell and punishment. Therefore, she bought herself a Ouija board. And she brought the Ouija board home, and she began playing with it. Of course, at first, nothing happened. And then, eventually, she made contact through the Ouija board with what she thought was her father. She became so controlled by the Ouija board that she could only, she only had to come to a table and touch the Ouija board and ask it a question, and it would begin spelling out answers for her. She asked the question, is there hell? And the Ouija board immediately shot back the answer, no. And she says, who is this that's speaking with me? And it's spelled out that it was someone in contact with her father. And then she asked, are you of the devil? It said, no. She said, are you insulted? It said, yes. She said, who are you? She said, and it came back with the answer, I am a Christ. Now, the Christ, the Son of God, come in the flesh. They'll never confess that. And so she was brought under the total control of the Ouija board. Within a few days, she saw her father sitting on the couch with his arms outstretched toward her, and she went to him. And he disappeared, but the imprint was left enough in the couch that her husband could see that someone had sat there. She continued dabbling with this until she went to a medium medium said, you have gifts. And so the medium started telling her things that only she and the Ouija board knew. Then they put into her possession books on black magic and started teaching her to communicate with the dead. And then into reincarnation, she kept a suit of her father's, and this suit was used as a talisman to make contact. And on she went with her sordid picture until eventually she was graduated because at the time she went into witchcraft in the playing with a Ouija board at the same time and she was introduced to drugs. They told her that she should come now on to drugs in order to fulfill her experience that she would be more able to open herself to the spirit world. And first there was grass or marijuana. And then from that she graduated to LSD. And while on an LSD trip, she literally went to hell. And she came out of that almost insane. But she came out questioning what the Ouija board had said about hell. And then she was plagued with hell. Then after that, there were voices that would speak to her and visitations at night so that she would become disturbed. And then her home was breaking up and falling apart. So as the last resort, she came to me. And as she started, after she had related this, I started reading scriptures to her, not allowing her to touch me nor me to touch her since I was alone. And when I read the first scripture, she went blind and couldn't see me or anything. 
I read another scripture, and she went into a convulsion. And I thought she was going to die. She showed every signs of death as she was being torn apart in a convulsion, but I didn't dare get up and go to her. If she had died, she would have had to die. I could not afford to touch her. And while in the convulsion, her throat literally blew up like a balloon. This is not imagination. Now, some people are going to say, we for a long time surmised that this fellow Griswold was insane. Now we know it. Well, I'll confirm it. But her throat blew up like a balloon, larger than any gorder I'd ever seen. And then she fainted away after the convulsion left. And she started pulling her blouse. And suddenly there appeared finger marks on her throat as she went through choking. I had to allow her to go all through this. I continued to read scripture. I continued to pray. Then eventually she came through it. When she did, she was somewhat weakened. She said, you know, I think I have peace for the first time. What should I do? I said, you go back to the apartment. You don't go alone. So I got one of my deacons. Go with her and her husband. And so the, the apartment was visited. I said, you take down every book, like magic. You take your Ouija board. You take everything you've used in the drug cult. Everything that you've used in contacting demons. Everything that has been associated with this. Put it in a box. Bring it over to my deacon's house. Burn it. While they were standing there, my deacon had never taken me very seriously in these things. He said, oh, now, preacher, I believe you. But he said, uh, I've never had any kind of experience. I don't doubt your word. I know that the Bible teaches demons. But while he was standing there protecting the girl, there was a large king-sized dresser, Spanish furniture, weighed about 300 pounds or better, and the drawer slid open. He stepped in. He just pushed the door drawer to. He was a little bit shaken. He didn't know just exactly what was taking place. And he stood there in the door again. She continued to pull these things out of the closet. She found the voodoo doll that had been put there. This was an intelligent girl now. And that door or that drawer slid open again. He walked back over and pushed that drawer to. And then I tested the drawer to make sure that it was not slanted, that it was not on rollers. And it's so loaded that you actually had to pull with force to get it open. Then in just about three minutes, as she reached for that Ouija board, she went into another convulsion. She became hysterical. She was frozen. And that 300-pound dresser just lifted up and floated one foot away from the wall and sat down. And by this time, and my deacon was almost in a state of panic, but he was a believer. He knew the reality of it. He said, if I'd never seen it, I wouldn't believe it. Well, we finally got the stuff out, got it into a barrel, and one half gallon of gasoline was poured over this material. A torch was lighted, put into her hands, and she was told to throw the torch into the barrel and then jump back because the gasoline would naturally explode. Believe it or not, the torch went out. And try as she would, 
that gasoline would not burn. So her husband got another half gallon, poured it into the barrel. Another torch was lighted, put into the barrel, and just a little flame came up. Then the substance was stirred, and it took an hour and a half to burn it. And that parts of that Ouija board that she had broken stood up in that flame and defied it until one hour and one half passed. And then it bowed over, and the flame caught up, and it was devoured. Now, if the dragon can make fire come down from heaven, he can quench fire on the earth. You say, well, do you have any biblical grounds for that? I sure do. In the book of Acts, when Paul preached in Ephesus, yes. all of the people there that had yes. dabbled in the black arts Amen. and black magic brought all their books Amen. on magic and witchcraft and burned Amen. them in That's the middle right. of the street. Yes, and they were not delivered until that actually took place. Amen. Now, this girl has been delivered from possession. She finally recognized. She didn't know it was demonism. She didn't know anything about demonism. But when she started being delivered, she started realizing that she was being possessed. She said, more and more, I am becoming less and less a person, and a new personality is emerging from me. She wanted to go to a psychiatrist. I said, if you go to the average psychiatrist who doesn't know the front of the Bible from the back side, he'll you're tell right. you that you're schizophrenic, that you're suffering from an extreme dementia praecox, you'll be put into a straitjacket and hauled away to the asylum, and the demons will completely and totally possess you. You know, she was in church after that, here before, she couldn't understand anything. I preached on the substitution of Christ. She came down to the front of the church. After the service, she said, I understand that. I see that. She says the word Savior has a double meaning to me now. I know he's the Savior. Amen. Amen. Well, she's still depressed and oppressed, but she's not possessed. And here I give this in order that this illustration might show you the danger of dabbling in witchcraft, the danger of possessing what we even consider to be taught as like the yes, yes, or we, we, French for yes and ya ya, the yes in German, Ouija, uh, the yes yes board, showing you that even that is the most prevalent means in this day by which demons possess individuals. One morning, my telephone rang, my missionary from France, Bill Clark, was at our home. And Bill had witnessed a great deal of demonism in France because of the heavy influence of of Catholicism and its superstition there, and also in Scotland, uh, beyond anything that you can imagine. My telephone rang at 3 o'clock in the morning, and the voice said, Preacher, you'd better get down to the church. Someone is tearing it apart. But I went down to the church just as hard as I could. There was a boy and a girl there. And they had ripped off a down spout. They were trying to get into the church. I realized that they were on drugs. I realized their purpose was to get inside the church to try to steal something, to swap it for drugs. So I confronted them right away with the Word of God. And this girl all attacked me with the most unbelievable vulgarities that I've ever heard pour out of the mouth of a person. And I asked her, I said, would you like to be delivered from the power that grasps you, she let out a string of cursed words and said, No. 
I want to go to hell. I've sold my soul to hell. And she cursed me again. I said, I said, uh, you want me to pray for you? She said, you pray for yourself. Don't pray for me. I said, what's wrong with you, young lady? She said, I am possessed. And I intend to stay possessed. And so again, an illustration of possession with drugs and drugs with possession and all of it with witchcraft. Now, I don't advise the reading of The Exorcist and certainly not the seeing of the movie. Amen. Amen. The Exorcist was actually based on a real-life case history at Georgetown University in which it took over three years to deliver that young girl from demonic possession. By revealed facts that Fidel Castro himself has dabbled in witchcraft to the extent that those in the inner circle of his party actually drink human blood in their rights. And many, many of the prisoners that were killed under his regime had their blood drained totally from their bodies. This has been confirmed by agencies of our own government. We know that such men as Henry Wallace, one time Vice President of the United States, who had the Illuminist symbol of the pyramid put on the dollar bill as the seal of the United States was a dabbler in occultism and black magic and also a revolutionary. All right? Now I want us to come, and if your patience can hold out, to see, and the reason I don't want to deal with the pyramid and with Illuminism. I want us to see how another symbol is related to this whole practice. Always Satanism has had its symbols, just as the Christian faith has its symbols. Also, you will find that witchcraft always uses certain symbols in its rituals. Now, most of our people today wear the sign of Satan either as a piece of jewelry or as painted on their automobiles or as bumper stickers, uh, which is today called the peace symbol. Now, any Christian that displays the peace symbol is again dabbling in Luciferianism, in Satanism. So I'm going to try and give to you the history of the peace symbol so that you might see for yourself. What I'm giving to you can be verified by history itself. Now the peace symbol itself, as we have it today, dates back to Emperor Nero, 54 to 68 A.D. At the time, the Apostle Peter was crucified upside down on a twisted cross. Any study of history will reveal that the twisted cross became known as Nero's cross. Now, it must be kept in mind that Nero's mother was a practicing witch. She practiced the black arts. Nero, her insane son, was undoubtedly driven to insanity because of his dabbling in occultism. 
Now he picked up the twisted cross from old ancient Babylonian symbols which always symbolized Satan. And in the first century, among the Christians of that century, Nero's cross became generally known in the church as the sign of the Antichrist. And this was its first appearance. Upside down, uh, which symbolized Nero's victory in the crucifixion of the Apostle Peter. Now in 70 A.D., when Generalissimo Titus brought Jerusalem under siege, according to ancient history, the banner which he flew over his army was Nero's cross, or the peace And during the whole time of the destruction of Jerusalem, this banner waved in the wind, showing that there was a total stand against the a total stand against the concepts of the Christian faith. Now this particular picture that I'm showing to you is the peace symbol as it appeared on a fence at Princeton University for over six months. However, in the dark ages, in medieval times, Nero's cross was officially adopted as the appropriate sign by the Satanists who met in opposition to the Christian church and who sought to make a mockery of the teachings of Christ and who at that time instituted the Black Mass. Now, even Anton LaVey outlines that the Black Mass, who, by the way, is the head of the Satanist Church, the Black Mass is often held by laying the nude buttocks of a prostitute in the Satanist movement on the pages of the open Bible. And then through the sex orgy that is performed in the name of Satan, the word of God is defiled when a cross is painted black, twisted, and turned upside down, which is the peace symbol. <coughs> All right? As a result of the adoption of the peace symbol in the medieval times by the Satanists, wherever this evil of worshiping Satan is practiced as a cult in Western civilization, this sign has been a part of it and has been called the sign of the Antichrist. The Marquis de Concresault states in his narrative of the Bolshevik Revolution that in the 20th century, this same symbol was painted on the doors of the churches that had been closed by the Bolsheviks in Russia, which symbolized that these churches were no longer places of worship, but would be turned into houses of prostitution 
or storage places for the grain of horses. It is also significant that today, 1974, the Palestine Liberation Front, which is a communist revolutionary organization in Palestine, wears this symbol on their red revolutionary armbands. Yet our knuckle-headed people in this country today fly that banner in the name of peace. In the 16th century, John Knox, the great reformer and contemporary with John Calvin and founder of Scottish Presbyterianism, in his book of sermons, as a woodcut of the goat of Mendes, which was used by the Satanists in his own day. And John Knox called this sign in his sermon, quote, the mark of the beast, because it was worn by all Satanists. This is the symbol that is worn as a medallion by Anton LaVey and other high priests of the Satanist cult. Now you will notice the goat that has the peace symbol in each eye for the pupil of the eye also makes a five-pointed star which has always been a symbol of revolution. It was used by the communists in Russia as the red star of revolution. Amen. And the goat which represents Satan. Now, the peace symbol was taken from this because if one places his hand at the lower point, his fingers at the other points, he gets the peace symbol. And so the Satanist son and the mark of the beast as it was designated by John Knox is the peace symbol raised today. Now let us note something about its present day popularity. How did it come to America? How did it become popular? First of all, Lenin said, as an ultimate objective, peace simply means communist control. On February the 21st of 1958, at the first Aldermaston Easter Peace Walk in England, led by the philosopher-mathematician, pro-communist socialist Bertram Russell, an active anti-Christian, the symbol was adopted as the symbol of the peace march. Now, Bertrand Russell, a dabbler in the black arts or familiar with the black arts, knew the meaning of the sign when he chose it. And because of this perversion of the Christian cross that was chosen, it was then identified with various leftist and communist groups, then introduced into uninformed youth movements and hippie groups, and eventually to the gullible American people as the sign of peace. Now the peace symbol may appear upside down or right side up, depending upon what you intend to do with it. It is an old ancient rune, and actually it was adopted by the 
Teutonic people as a part of their alphabet, and it has appeared even in the ancient Mayan culture, right side up, in order to invoke the spirits to favor their corn crops with an abundant harvest. Right side up, it identifies man with the fertility cult or the worship of sex and demonism, and this is almost universally accepted in pagan groups. Upside down, it represented man fallen or became a symbol of death. Therefore, it is highly significant that when Adolf Hitler marked any person out to be executed, the peace symbol upside down was always printed on the official stationery of the Third Reich. There is a new book. I recommend its reading. It is not written by a Christian, but nevertheless extremely informative. It's a paperback, sales for about 75 cents, that treats the subject of the occult origin of the Third Reich or the occult background of Hitler's Germany. And it shows how Hitler dabbled in the black arts, how evolution was basic to his philosophy as it is basic to communism. For the communist Karl Marx says without the evolution of Charles Darwin, communism never could have become a reality. Yet we teach it in our school. We don't teach it in our school. All right. If you visit Germany and if you are permitted to visit any of the gravestones of World War II Nazi officers of the SS troop, please note very carefully that under the swastika will be the peace symbol, right side up, as a fertility run. Anton LaVey in 1968 said, A black mass consists of such things as saying the Lord's Prayer backwards, interspersed with obscenities and profanities, trampling the cross underfoot, or hanging it upside down. Therefore, in all Satanist movements, the benediction is pronounced in which a light shines upon the hand, And the high priest of Satanism, after they have experienced drugs, sex orgies, revolutionary propaganda, lifts his hand to bless the assembly so that it will reflect on the wall, making here the horns, the goatee, the goat of Mendy. Also, the communist symbol, the hammer and sickle, was derived from the peace symbol, and therefore is the official sign of world communism today. For here was the beginning of Nero's cross, going through a transitional stage, becoming the hammer and sickle of the communist revolution. Therefore, symbols are important, and we cannot ignore them. Now, I pointed out a verse of Scripture 
Now I want to give you the definition of these words and an explanation of what is involved. Revelation chapter 9 verse 21. So that you might bring all of this into perspective. Now if Revelation is a picture of what shall take place at the end time, and if we are approaching the end time, we have reason to believe that these events are casting their shadow before them. So we read, neither repented they of their murders, nor of their sorceries, nor of their fornication, nor of their thefts. And all these murders, sorceries, fornication, thefts, belong to the Satanist cult and are practiced by Satanists. Now there are two words that I want you to note in particular. The word fornication appears a number of times in the book of Revelation. Most significantly in chapter 17 where we read of the great whore in verse 2 with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. Verse 4, having a golden cup in her hand full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. And upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery of Babylon, the great, the mother of harlots, the abominations of the earth. <coughs> Henry Miller, the author of a trilogy on pornography, one popular title being The Topic of Cancer, who was a philosopher of pornography, made this statement. I do not write pornography to entertain the masses, but I write pornography for revolution. Now, there's a reason for this. Pornography is the last step man takes in his total break with God and the Christian religion. This is why the Marquis de Sade, from which we get the word sadism in sexual misbehavior, is becoming so popular in this day, who was one of the major philosophers of the French Revolution who advocated that prostitution and all kinds of sexual perversions be considered as virtues while virtues be considered as vices. And these men all have revealed that the purpose of pornography is to institute the final phase of idolatry so that man's break with the Christian religion is poor and he is given completely over to the worship of idols. Now think for a moment. Pornography is designed to infect, and I deliberately shun using the word affect, infect the imagination. Now the more the imagination is infected with Images of sexual perversions and promiscuities through X-rated movies, 
and pornographic material, the less one can have thoughts of God in their hearts. Therefore, the Bible does not say that the heart of man is evil continually, but it says that the imagination of his heart, of his mind, are evil continually. You see, idolatry is to worship an image other than God, and the most perfect image is not one made of stones and wood, but one that becomes deep-seated in the imagination. So that when a man sleeps, he cannot escape it in his dreams. And when he is awake, it burns in his bosom with lust. Total idolatry. Now hold on to your seat. The word without exception that is translated fornication in the book of Revelation, which the nations are going to commit in their idolatry, the whore of Babylon is the Greek word pornonia, from which we get the Greek or the English word pornographic. Same word. Who give themselves over to the pornography of the whore of Babylon? They will not repent of their pornographies. And there is no secret as to the fact that pornography is promoted in the drug cults and the Luciferian cults and the anti-Christian cults. And wherever you find drugs, you find hey. pornography because this was also one of the items that this young lady had to strip her house of and pornography. Now we come to the word sorcery. In the book of Galatians chapter 5, we read that the works of the flesh are and witchcraft. Now the word sorcery and the word witchcraft are translations of the same Greek root or the root Greek word. That Greek word is pharmakia in its noun, pharmakos in its adjective. And just the pronunciation of the Greek word should give you some implication of an English word that we get from it. Pharmakia, pharmakos, pharmacist, pharmacology, pharmacologist. (coughs) Now don't you dare go out of this meeting and say that Farrell Griswold got up and said that all pharmacists (laughs) were witches. (laughs) There is a legitimate usage of drugs as they are properly dispensed for the alleviation of pain. There's also an illicit usage. Yes. You'll find just as much illicit usage of drugs among adults as you do among youngsters. They only go by the route of prescriptions rather than illegal treatment. Right. Therefore, we have a large percentage of our present-day population either anathematized on alcohol or extremely powerful tranquilizers that deaden the mind. Then you find obese people, that's just in plain old Alabama language, people that are too fat, who don't have the willpower to push away from the table, who go down and get some uppers, 
because your diet pills are amphetamines, they're uppers. They'll drive you clean out of your mind. I've seen people have nervous breakdowns. If you get started on amphetamines, then you'll have to get something to bring you down. And if you get down too low, you'll have to get up high again. And so it's just a vicious cycle, and eventually you get on something stronger. The pharmacia. Now, I took out of your pastor's study his dictionary of Greek words by vines and vines says pharmakos, adjective, one devoted to magical arts. One who uses drugs, potions, spells, enchantments. As a noun in sorcery, the use of drugs, whether simple or potent, is gradually accompanied by incantations and appeal to occult powers. Therefore, we have the drug cult with its spells and its potions, and a deadening of the senses to all morality that has paralleled in its popularity the rise of revolution and anarchy and the rise of Satanism in this country. Anton LaVey, the high priest of Satanism in California, made this statement. He said, we, having reference to Satan worshipers, we are building a concentration camp without walls around the youth of this country. And he went on to explain that the way they would keep the youth under control, under their control, without war, enslaved them, was the introduction of drugs and their usage. And then eventually, of course, psychic powers. You have to see some of these people under this control. Understand well, where do you think the idea of the witch's brew came from? If you celebrate Halloween, you ought to be whipped. Amen. It's a pagan holiday. October the 31st is not Halloween. It's Reformation Day. That's the day Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses on the door of the church and started the movement of freedom. Yes, sir. Where do you think we get the idea of the witch's brew? The pharmacia. Standing, brewing the drugs. And most of these drugs were hallucinatory because the idea of a witch flying on a broomstone, uh, uh, a broomstick, of uh, these hallucinatory drugs gave them the sensation of flying. For example, a good heavy intake of marijuana can dull the senses and to the extent that a crack in a sidewalk will may appear to be a chasm like Grand Canyon. Oftentimes you've seen people standing at the at a curb, frozen, because it looks as if it's several stories high and they can't step off. They're pathetic to behold. Or like Art Linkletter's daughter, they look out a window from an upper story and it looks like it's only one step down and out they go to their death. You say, now preacher, you don't believe that marijuana is dangerous, or somebody said marijuana, and the name is Marie. Let me read you what the Commissioner of Mental Health said in an AP report. Dr. David Wade. 
He says we are getting good, substantial research evidence to indicate that marijuana is causing brain damage, irreversible brain damage. He says, first, marijuana causes personality alterations, a flattening of the personality. In other words, the person absolutely dependent on those people. You can't make final decisions for yourself. Flattening of the personality, what we might call a decay of the moral climate. And he goes on to say that any person who consistently takes in a drug like marijuana will destroy that part of the brain that responds to moral reasoning so that they will become totally amoral, unable to make moral decisions. So this is an enlargement upon the idea of the Illuminati that I believe is sufficient to show from the Word of God itself that there is an interconnection, interrelatedness between symbols which become religious symbols. Pornography, the drug cult, the Satanist cult, revolutionary activity itself. If you have any doubt of this, then I would encourage that you Read for yourself available materials that will show this relationship in the age of Aquarius. Our Father, we thank Thee for Thy protecting hand, that in Thy discriminating grace Thou hast seen fit to preserve us from the horrors of this hell that we have discussed this evening. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and by his mighty power and through his marvelous grace, on the grounds of his atoning work, I pray, O Lord, that thou wilt preserve all of thy people here in this evening gathering from any oppression on the part of the enemy and his hosts. Thou wilt enable thy people to clear their domain of any objects that might be pervertedly used by demonic forces to the disturbance of their mentality and emotion. Oh Lord, if we have those in our midst that have been deceived by the master deceiver in the dabbling of drugs and playing with the occult experimenting with witchcraft that thou wilt grant unto them repentance by the power of thy Holy Spirit. For we pray in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank you, Brother Gretchen. We have heard something tonight that probably one of the most enlightening lectures that we can, well, that any of us have heard. This has been my purpose primarily for this meeting, is that there might be outsiders brought in and maybe enough of light on this thing to be shed and make us realize the seriousness of the time that we're living in. This is not a fairy tale. This is... Fact. This is 
realization of something that's real. It's not something way out there. There's something right here now. We trust that those that have heard it will not take it lightly. Those of you that have children, you ought to take into deep consideration what you've heard tonight. And try to draw close together around the home. Those of you that know not Christ, the only hope that you have in this day, becoming more and more aware of this, is Him. You see, He has the power over Him who had the power over death. He destroyed who had that power. You see, the book of Revelation teaches us that those that overcame Him, overcame Him by the word of their testimony by the power of the blood. But Christ is the answer. That means the answer. He's what you need. And he's what will make a home right. Make a home worthwhile. I trust you will consider these things that's been said to me. Let's stand to our feet. Let me say this. There may be one among us. We have a host of business. There may be someone among us who's already having problems with what he's been talking about tonight. You may need help. And I urge you, don't hesitate. If you want help, you need help, we'll be around after the service, after we're dismissed, you feel free to come confidentially. Be glad to help you. The rest will be here. And I'm sure that I can say for him, if you're in desperate need, your time or his time is your time. He'd be glad to help you deal with you over this matter. So, wanted to mention this felt like we ought to. There may be someone here tonight for this host of visitors already having problems with this unseen world around us. So, for we, a lot of time we. We're getting, you know, concerned about this hell below us, but we don't see this hell out here around us. There's a hell we're breathing in. See, the air is filled with apostasy. We're breathing that in every day. It's in the world of spirit, of apostasy, of Satanism, Satan power. You think about this. Let's bow our heads again as we go. Our Father, we thank thee again for this time of gathering. We thank the Lord for the great informative message that we've heard tonight. We're grateful for this man who not through a pridey ability came before us, but who came before us humbly. Not desiring within himself to display any knowledge that he might have gained from this, but with a desire and humility to help those who are in the dark as to it. We're grateful, God, that he would lay his particular mental and physical, spiritual welfare on the altar of God tonight and give out what he's been given by the study that he's made in this. And, Lord, we did not take it light as to the awful attack that he underwent from time to time when he's made this lecture. We trust tonight that thou wouldest protect him. We've told him here 
with a burden on our heart and our responsibility we feel tonight, Lord, is to lift him up before thee. Yes, we pray that thou mightest protect him by the power of the blood. O God, that thy prevailing power, we know that thou art almighty. Satan has power, but thou hast all power. I pray tonight that thou mightest prevail and get grant victory in Brother Bruce's life. We thank thee for him. We love him in the Lord tonight. We appreciate his stand for thee. God bless him and keep him as he travels back to his home after tomorrow's, tomorrow night's service. And I pray again that thou would protect these individuals as they leave here tonight. We pray, O oh God, and plead the blood of Jesus Christ on their welfare, upon their safety as they leave this building. But again, Heavenly Father, help us to be very, very conscious of the seriousness of the hour we're living in. We thank Thee for Thy eternal blessings. We thank Thee for Thy sovereign grace in Jesus Christ, for Thy atoning sacrifice that You made on Calvary. We thank Thee in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important when he says that God had commanded no such thing 
and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.